Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of the Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Burlidge. I will be your co-host today along with Mason Plummer. Uh, Rags, he's going to be out for a little bit. He's getting caught up with a lot of work back home there in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I know he's got a lot of juggling he's doing right now. So Mason are gonna, Mason and I are going to hold down the fort indefinitely. Got a lot to talk about. I mean a lot to talk about. Signing day, one of the biggest weeks in the college football season on the college football calendar. Caught up with BK this week about the Chip Long situation, what he's thinking, what he's looking at, what he's looking for. We'll dive into that. Echoes, Echoes 19, the awards banquet was held last Friday. We had recorded our show before that, so we'll kind of recap that. Notre Dame men's hoops really entering a tough stretch and a, and a very important stretch. I think we're going to know a lot about this team here in the next couple weeks here, starting with the game against IU down in Indianapolis. Uh, Mason, what's going on, man? Busy week, eh? Yeah, busy week. I'm actually on vacation in Georgia, so trying to keep up with everything while enjoying myself on vacation. So, uh, but yeah, it's been a good week. For sure. Uh, and signing day went as planned. We'll dive into that. But as we start every show, let's do some blue gold nuggets here with your usual three-pack. All-American awards, AP style, came out this week. And Notre Dame was shut out. A 10-2 and Notre Dame team shut out on the AP All-American teams. I was a little bit surprised by that. I guess Cole Komet was the one guy I was looking at that probably would get some recognition AP puts out three teams there. Ohio State led the way. They had three first-teamers, seven overall. Uh, Alabama, no first-teamers for the first time since 2010, but still had five overall, which tied with Utah and Oklahoma for second overall. LSU and Clemson had four. Really, it's been a quiet awards season altogether for Notre Dame. You know, Typically, there's a tight end in there getting some, some John Mackey accolades, or at least as a finalist or whatnot. Really, there's been nothing. Um, other than John Shannon, the long snapper, he won the inaugural Patrick Manley Award. So first time there, good for him. Uh, John Shannon, who could have come back for fifth season, is not going to. He wants to be a cop. So that's kind of cool. Good for him. So he's going to pursue that career. It really was. There was no respect because Notre Dame actually in the preseason, Alohi Gilman, Julian O'Quara, and Tommy Kramer, obviously a safety, a defensive lineman, and an offensive lineman there. They were all named to preseason AP All-American teams, but it didn't come to pass. So really the only postseason award other than the one I mentioned with John Shannon was Kyle Hamilton, and he obviously was a first-team freshman All-American pick. Sean Crawford seems like he's been around here for 20 seasons, but it looks like he's going to make it number 21 this year because it appears he has filed paperwork, according to the South Bend Tribune, to come back for a sixth-season so he just loves the camaraderie, even though it's been a rough ride for him, the Notre Dame cornerback slash safety. He lost two full seasons with injuries in 2015 and 18 and then played only two games with another injury in 16. So he's filed for that sixth season uh, with the NCAA. Hard to imagine, given what I just that profile I just gave, two full seasons down and then only two games in 16 that the uh, NCAA wouldn't grant him that sixth season. Brian Kelly said he knows everything that's going on with these 50-year guys. He's not sharing. He said he's going to let the guys that are coming back let you know on their terms. But he did say at the banquet that his roster is pretty well set where he needs it. So we'll have to wait for some of those announcements to come. This Crawford thing, this could be important, Mason, because really of all the position groups, when you look at Notre Dame, I think cornerback is probably the sketchiest. You have Tariq Bracey. He played a, He obviously had some playing time this year at corner. But really... 
You don't have much else behind him. You have K.J. Wallace, Isaiah Rutherford, and Cam Hart, who's a converted wide receiver. Those are the guys that they were freshmen this past season, so they'll be sophomores. Sean Crawford might give him, might help stabilize that position. It might not be a bad thing for him to come back. He had a decent year. And finally, in the NFL, Zach Martin, uh, who came to Notre Dame as an unranked four-star recruit and only the 22nd best offensive tackle prospect in the recruiting class of 2009, He's been named by the Athletic on the all-decade team for the NFL. Uh, the one from, obviously, 2010 through 2019, and good for him. It's well-deserved. Interestingly, Mason, also Zach Martin, is a pro bowler, and he is expected to start to start alongside Ronnie Stanley. Mason, let's move on to some more important business, starting with signing day. It was a good one, and you told us you didn't expect any surprises, and there weren't. And you said they might get a late addition, and they did. 18 players total. Um, then if you had grad transfer Isaiah Pryor, it would be 19. Four cornerbacks, four defensive linemen, three wide receivers, two tight ends, two offensive linemen, one long snapper, one quarterback, uh, and, and that's your breakdown right there. They come from 15 states and from Germany and from Washington, D.C. Nine of these guys will be in early enrollees. We'll get to that in a second. Mason, just give me your general overview on how everything went for signing day. Yeah, it went just about as good as you can expect. You know, there's no no surprises. Uh, Ramon Henderson could be considered a surprise, but it was pretty much a lock that he was going to come to Notre Dame. There was a late crystal ball put in for Utah on 24-7 sports by a Utah writer, but he admitted that that was just for the hell of it. So <laughs> wishful that could thinking. be thrown away. <laughs> yeah, right, we're... yeah, totally wishful thinking by him. But, uh, yeah, Ramon Henderson was pretty much a lock, and he's the corner I think I'm most excited about of this class. Um, Nerding struggled to land the big corner, but, you know, with four or five guys in a class like this, you you got to think two or three are going to hit. So I think Ramon Henderson's one of them and a guy I'm really excited about. Um, the rest of the guys, you, you pretty much knew from the start that once they were committed to Notre Dame, they weren't going to waver, and it was nice to not have any surprises. Uh, so, yeah, Ramon Henderson's the one I'm most excited about, just uh, maybe some recency bias there. Do you think uh, Do you think Henderson has any chance? I mean, well, let me just ask it this way. When you look at impact players, guys that you think can play, play right away, a.k.a. Um, Kyle Hamilton, is there anybody in this class you believe fits that bill? Well, speaking of Ramon Henderson, um, I actually didn't realize this. I was really getting into his stats, and uh, he was a track star in California. He went to Liberty High School out of Bakersfield, California. And this guy's faster than Brayden Lindsay. So oh, speed kills. And, uh, yeah, he had a faster 55-yard time, 55-meter time than Brayden Lindsay. So, um, yeah, speed kills. And uh, at, at the cornerback position, that's awesome. So um, especially if it doesn't work out with Sean Crawford returning, Ramon Henderson could be a guy that spots in immediately. Well, speaking of speed kills, I think when you go to the Notre Dame offense, this is something they were really looking for. Brian Kelly stressed it in his press conference. Talk about some of the skill guys they get, because those are a couple guys uh, in Tyree and and Johnson that I think can certainly make an immediate impact. Yeah, right, Um, especially with how the running back position is going to turn out. Um, Jafar Armstrong never seemed 100% since he got injured in the second series in the first game against Louisville. Uh, Chris Terry's definitely going to get his carries in 2020. Jordan Johnson is a guy that's expected to contribute from the start. Um, initially, it wasn't it wasn't thought that he was going to be able to contribute right away, and maybe a, a red shirt, but that's been thrown out the window with what's happened with Michael Young, which was completely unexpected. Right. And then Javon McKinley is not expected to come back either. 
that leaves a uh, relatively smaller height-wise um, wide receiver corpse. And Jordan Johnson is a pretty tall, lengthy guy that can go up and get it. Uh, he's a Chase Claypool kind of guy and uh, potentially has a chance to be better than Claypool. He's much higher rated at coming out of high school. And so it'll be looking to be uh, him, Kevin Austin, and Braden Lindsey leading the wide receiver corps next season. Yeah, certainly a lot of turnover there, and I think that helps Jordan Johnson big time. When you look at Tyree, you 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 know you make it, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it. There was a lot of uncertainty within that running back group this past year, mainly because of injury and whatnot. But at the same time, it's, I, I think the entire group is coming back. I, I honestly believe Tony Jones Jr. will come back. Obviously, Jafar Armstrong will be back. While Chris Tyree is probably the most game-breaking running back that Brian Kelly has brought in here. I mean, this guy routinely runs 4-3 or, you know, let's call it under 4-4-40s. That's incredible speed right there. And Mason, help me out here. He did. He was fastest man in the country twice. At, was that that uh, Army All-American camp? That was at the opening, the Nike, the opening. Okay. And that's where you get the top the top notch guys. He beat out the number one wide receiver recruit who ended up going to Ohio State, and that guy was known for his speed too. So, um, no, I don't know off the top of my head if anybody's ever won it twice in a row, but that's certainly quite an accomplishment for Tyree to win it two times in a row. Yeah, you know, you know, they're going to try to find a way to get him the ball. They'd be foolish not to. So, any other takeaways uh, from this class that that really jumped out at you? Well, on the topic of Tyree, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the running back situation. Um, all the guys seem to run it decently well, but nobody seemed to stand out other than Tony Jones had a three- or four-game stretch that he did well right. in. Um, we'll see if Jafar Armstrong bounces back. I expected him to break out this season, but injuries plagued him. Sebo uh, Flemister looked good in the limited carries he got. Uh, Jamir Smith was banged up during the season. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen, really, with the running backs. It's a loaded. It's going to be a loaded running back room. And there's, you know, Chris Tyree's going to get his. I'm looking through. Michael Mayer is another guy that I I assume will get action as soon as he steps onto campus. This guy's a man-child. He's 18 years old but looks like he's 25. He looks like he can play in the NFL right now. And if, especially if things don't work out with Cole Komet, he could easily be splitting time with Tommy Trumbull as a tight end one. He might even surpass Tommy Tremble, so this is a guy I'm really excited about. We talked about before the show, we were texting around a little bit yesterday about it, and you said you were impressed by the early enrollees, and you and then Brian Kelly agreed with you, nine of them. This is certainly a new way to go, and, and it's a great advantage for these kids that get in here, not only from a football standpoint, standpoint but from an academic standpoint. So here's Brian Kelly talking a little bit about his early enrollees and just how critical this can be. The other thing that stands out, obviously, is um, early enrollees, the ability to want to take that next challenge. We like the fact that uh, nine of these young men uh, have accepted that opportunity to come here early. They have um, excelled in high school to the point where they can, in fact, graduate early, come to Notre Dame, and look at the next challenge, and that being here, obviously, uh, in a collegiate environment. doesn't mean that they're um, better. It just means that they are accepting uh, a challenge um, that is a bit different. And so those nine will get a chance to um, begin their college career and um, obviously get a chance to be in spring ball uh, and, and get working on their academic career. 
And it really goes to your point, Mason, when we were texting, you said that this is important. This is an important road that these kids can take and often do take more frequently. You especially want to see your quarterbacks doing that, and that's what Drew Pine's doing. You you like to get those guys on on campus and get accustomed. You know, uh, the quarterback transition from high school to college is definitely a, a difficult one. And you want your best players to get accustomed to college life, especially in Notre Dame where the academics are much tougher than other places. And the academics part of it is huge, and Notre Dame emphasizes that. So getting all squared away with, with school first, they emphasize that, and, and then making academics come or uh, athletics come second. And just make sure you're all accustomed and comfortable before you head into football season where it gets really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. We better move on to Chip Long here. Again, Brian Kelly talked a little bit about the situation, um, gave us a little bit of a breakdown on what's going to happen. I think of worth worth noting is that for the bowl game, for the Camping World Bowl, December 28th, Tom Reese, obviously the quarterback's coach, third-year quarterback's coach, he's going to take on the role of passing game coordinator. And then Lance Taylor, the first-year running back's coach, he's going to take on the role of run game coordinator. Now, only one or the other of these guys, and Brian Kelly was undecided on this, is going to call the play. So that's more of the prep situation but BK, man, he was straight up saying that just because we're doing this with these guys now doesn't mean that's the road we're going to take. We are going to we're going to interview. We're going to do an extensive search. We're going to absolutely what everybody's saying on the message board is just that. It's message board chatter. Don't treat it as fact, Brian Kelly warned. And actually, here's kind of a quick synopsis of what he said, just how his decision process has went so far and how he expects it to go. I don't know how to say this any clearer. I'm going to do what's in the best interest of this football program, not me. I'm not going to do what's in my best interest. I've already made a tough decision. I've had to make other tough decisions. I made them a few years ago. I had to let go of guys that stood up at my wedding. I'm not afraid to make tough choices. I'm going to make the decisions that are in the best interest of Notre Dame's football program and gives us the best chance to win a national championship. I I can't articulate it any clearer. I used to just think it was going to be automatically Tom Reese's job, but after listening to Brian Kelly and hearing him talk, I I think he's going to do what we talked about last week. It sounds like he is going to run this through a process, which I think is the right way to go. Where do you stand on all this? Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be against Tom Reese being the offensive coordinator, as I said last week, but I think it is important to kind of shop the job and make sure that you're not missing out on a on an A-plus hire like you got with Clark Lee as your defensive coordinator, right. a guy that wasn't really expected to come in, but he did, and he's done an amazing job. So, you know, shop the job around. You need, uh, with the way the offense is changing and how college football is changing, you need sort of an up-and-comer rather than an older guy that wants to stick to the traditional kind of things. And with the speed and talent that the Notre Dame offense has, has been getting in recruiting as well as, the, uh, as what you've been uh, seeing on the field, it's going to be important to get a guy that knows how to work speed into the game and, you know, with how college football is transitioning into a pass-first and speed-first kind of game, an offensive coordinator that wants to do those kind of things. Yeah, and Brian Kelly was quick to point out, you know, if you want to, if you're expecting us to be a team that looked like the Lou Holtz group where it's, you know, three three yards in a cloud of dust, it's not going to happen. We, we're going to be more of a a pass-reliant offense, especially with the way this team is built. The reason I guess I keep going back to I'd like to see him shop this job around is Brian Kelly's always been very loyal to staff members, goes back to his days at Grand Valley State, moves through Central Michigan, moves through Cincinnati. 
But it seemed like after the 16 season, after the 2016 season, when he went four and eight, and he totally revamped the staff, brought in seven new assistant coaches, totally overhauled that staff. That was his best work as a head coach. He's won ten games ever since. He's thirty three and six ever since, or thirty two and six. I'm sorry, and with a chance to go thirty three and six ever since. So it seems like because he shopped around and brought in some fresh thoughts, some fresh ideas, some fresh blood, that seemed to work very well for him. And I'd like to see that. Notre Dame was really good offensively. We all saw that this year. So he's happy with where it is. But there's other things he said. He didn't get specific on it. There's areas where he wants to see some improvement. So he's calling this more of an evolution from 19 to 20 than an overhaul as it was from 16 to 17. And and that's understandable. I guess Brian Kelly will probably tell us who ultimately is the play caller. Brian Kelly did say it will not be him for the bowl game or any time moving forward. He said he's he's done with that role. Do you Are you looking at this as a certain audition, this Camping World Bowl, for one of these two guys, either a Taylor or a Reese? I think it very well could be an audition. If it goes well, it could stir very well for them potentially getting the job. I do hope that he narrows it down to one of them, and it sounds like he is, to call plays. Yeah. Because I was just, as I was reading over, that they were going to be a pass game and run game coordinator. I could potentially see them butting heads over play calls. Yeah. It's good to see like a hierarchy of uh, play calling and make sure that you know not that there is a hierarchy rather than guys button heads or being frustrated about play calls. You know, that seems to be the new fad though in football. I know LSU does it with the with the run game coordinator and a pass game coordinator. To me a little bit of a new dynamic, but certainly a, a growing dynamic at the same time. But it seems kind of strange to be one or the other, be it Reese or Taylor that's told you're not going to call plays. Um, that seems a little strange to me, but you know, decisions have to be made, tough ones have to be made, and that's obviously what Brian Kelly's up against. So we'll, have, we'll obviously keep a close eye on how this goes. It's an important position, an important uh, decision, and hopefully Brian Kelly gets this one right. Mason, let us move on to the awards banquet. Guess I was a little bit surprised. I thought that Chase Claypool winning team MVP certainly could make a great case for him. The guy was fabulous this year, especially down the stretch. Finished the season with 59 receptions, 891 yards, and 12 TDs. Ian Book was named offensive MVP. Um, he was that book was the team MVP last season. I thought he might repeat with the way he played down the stretch, but I guess a lot of the credit has to go to Chase Claypool for that. And Khalid Kareem, um, he was defensive MVP. Uh, we'll get a little bit more specifics into some of the other awards, but uh, if you had to pick a team MVP, an offensive MVP, and a defensive MVP, is that the way you would have gone, Mason? Yeah, I think it's about spot on. Initially, when I saw the report that that book won offensive MVP, I was shocked. But until I realized that Claypool won the team MVP, <laughs> right. which I think is about right. So, yeah, I think they got it about right. Well, when you look at what Claypool did, I mentioned his overall season numbers, and I'll run through them again just for comparison's sake. 59 receptions, 891 yards, and 12 TDs. Well, in November alone, the five games in November, he had more than half of those receptions, 30. 455 yards, more than half of his yardage there, and then eight TDs, way more than half of his touchdowns. He really got on a roll there. What was funny is his November production alone, darn near broke every other receiver, pass catcher, I should say, on the Irish roster. Uh, Komet had 482 yards receiving for the year. 
compared to 455 in November for Claypool. Uh, Komet also had 41 receptions for the year compared to 30 uh, for Claypool in November. And then Chris Fink had the 35 receptions for the year. Obviously, it earned him team MVP awards, but I think it's going to help him as he moves through this draft process. I wouldn't say he was having a bad year before that, before November, but I feel like he was having a bit of a nondescript year. And Actually, Claypool said it himself. He said, I wish the season started in November, and it's understandable to see why. Uh, Cole Komet. He was named Impact Player on Offense. Again, 41 receptions, 482 yards, 6 TDs, and he only played 10 games. He missed two because of injury the first two games. And then Alohi Gilman, Impact Player on Defense, uh, 66 total tackles, 3 tackles for loss, a couple forced fumbles, a sack, an interception, and a fumble recovery. Will he be back? That's one of the great questions. I don't believe he will. Offensive lineman of the year, Robert Hainsey, injured, but he played. He did a good job at right tackle there. And defensive lineman of the year, Julian Aquara, again, having a great year until his injury shortened his season. Running back, Tony Jones Jr., 21 awards given out there. It's a, They give a lot out, Mason. If we would have went to the banquet, uh, we might have gotten a little something. Got to get a little hardware ourselves. I want to talk a little bit of hoops because I think it's important. I'll actually be in Indy for... The Notre Dame IU game. Uh, it's it's just it's a big one for Notre Dame. We're st- it's still difficult to wrap your, your your hands around this team. You know, you lose to Boston College. You're coming off a tough Maryland loss. So you lose back to back games, and I think both you and I were down on this team at that point, with good reason. You know, two two straight losses, especially the BC. I think was disappointing. You're supposed to beat that team by a whole bunch of points, and you didn't. You got beat by at home. So now you're zero two. Now you're playing IU neutral. Coming off a nice win against UCLA, a couple good wins in a row, actually, where they finally started shooting threes, 35 of 78 threes the last two games. The thing that jumps out at me, Mason, is just how well this team passes the ball. First in the nation, and it's not even close uh, in assist to turnover, 1.82. And considering that Notre Dame hasn't even shot the ball particularly well this year, that's pretty amazing, too. So here's Mike Bray actually talking about the bounce-back week with two wins against Detroit Mercy and UCLA coming off the two losses to Maryland and Boston College. And he, he addresses the assisted turnover as well. We do understand how to space the floor, and, you know, we we can pass the ball. I mean, what was it, 15 assists, only six turnovers. I mean, our assisted turnover leads the nation, and it's so far out in front of the second-place team. This is an efficient group who knows who they are and can move the ball and uh what a difference a week makes what a difference a week makes you know you just uh and it's a great group man i love them and they want it so bad you know i hope i want to be good for them because they really do they're amazingly coachable individually mason prentice hub is number three in the acc and assisted turnover and tj gibb is number two so you, you you try to if you can secure the IU win, then you get Alabama A and M, and then you're kind of your last BS conference game, non-conference game, and then you go at Syracuse, at NC State, and you play home against number one Louisville. That's when stuff gets interesting. So we're going to find out a lot about the Irish here coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So uh, we we wish them well against IU. Just real quick, this is the ninth Crosstown Classic down in Indy. The Notre Dame Irish are four and four in this thing. The women, the women continue to struggle. Three losses in a row. They are five and seven. Obviously unranked. It's going to be a rough year and a rough ride for these gals, which is unfortunate. They play Saturday. Also, they be playing the same time as the men against 
The University of Guelph, G-U-E-L-P-H. It's a team out of Canada, Mason, in case you're wondering. Maybe you knew that. You're, you're pretty uh, you're a pretty smart guy. Um, I can't say I did. I've never heard of that. I figured it was it was Canada or something like that, but yeah, has hopefully little, that's a big win. They might they need it. Has a little French feel to it. You know what, Mason? I'm out of time. I didn't do a very good job of introducing you. you. You become so familiar to the show. I just call you Mason Plummer, and off we went. Mason Plummer 6, uh, at Mason Plummer 6, you can find him on Twitter. He writes for Slap the Sign. We are sponsored by Dio McComan's son. You can find me at Todd Burledge. Mason, my apologies for off the top of the show, not giving you a better uh, a better plug there. But we got it in now, at least, my friend, and we will talk to you next week. I appreciate you joining me, man. Yeah, you could just plug me like twice as long next week, and we'll, we'll call it good. <laughs> you can count on it. Yeah, I, I, I sincerely apologize for that. There's a certain level of comfort here that has come, that I just figure everybody knows who the hell you are. All right, be good. Have a good weekend, Mason. Have fun down in Georgia. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.